All right, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Everybody good? Good. It's good to see you all. It's good to be here. It's good to be able to worship together again. I tell you, it's uh, encouraging to the soul after uh, uh, the week we had with family. It was a very restful week, an encouraging week, at the same time a challenging week. As many of you know, uh, my father-in-law has uh, been fully diagnosed with uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, and so uh, that has been a, a challenge for our family to walk through together, and so uh, it's meant some very precious moments together, as uh, many of you who've ever dealt with anything along those lines or any illness in the family uh, really paints a, a picture of how frail and how quick and how fleeting life can be, and so um, that's kind of been our world this past week. Well, I do want to tell you again, Happy New Year. We are back, back together again. Again, there's just something good about being together, being able to worship uh, together as uh, a faithful family, a faith family uh, under the umbrella in Jesus Christ. And what I want us to do is I want us to be able to just take a few moments if we could and just really ease into uh, this new year as I think many of us are. I think um, uh, I don't know how many of you actually stayed up uh, until midnight and watched the ball drop. Like, is that still a thing? Like, do people still do that? Yeah. Okay, I don't really, I've got so many questions about that. But anyway, that's a, I'm not going to chase that rabbit this morning from the pulpit. But yeah, we all watch it. I mean, I grew up in Georgia. Uh, it was really interesting because on the local television, you'd watch the ball drop in New York. And uh, man, I'm going to admit this, and it's really trashy to say, but then we had the peach drop, yeehaw, in Georgia. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the first few years of the peach drop, man, it wasn't as cool as the New York uh, on top of a building, uh, it was literally uh, something that amounted to like a uh, one of those little metal erector sets, you know what I'm talking about? And then the two of the most country redneck guys they could find, and they had a peach on some sort of uh, plywood, and then they lowered that thing with rope. And then they had a guy down below and yelling up, 30 seconds, Bubba! Anyway, it was really weird. And so that's kind of how that got introduced. So if you've never experienced a peach drop in Georgia, uh, let me encourage you, don't. Um, it's not worth it, I promise. Uh, it probably won't even encourage you, so don't do that. But anyway, it's just one of those things I remember growing up. But I just didn't know how many people still stayed up for New Year's, how many people uh, enjoyed uh, that time together. And so uh, many, many of you, like most of our world, is kind of easing into 2022. Uh, you're hoping that this is a new year or really a turn of the page for uh, our country, for our world. Uh, I've already read several articles that are calling uh, unfortunately, 2022 is being called 2020 Part B. Um, I'm hoping that's not the case and we're able to move forward. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us just to really ponder a few words uh, from the Word of God, hopefully some words of encouragement for us today as believers, some words of edification. Uh, and then what I'm hoping that we'll do is that uh, this will really help set us up as we begin to jump de- uh, into a deeper dive into the Word of God over the next few weeks after that. And so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you over the course of the next few weeks, uh, my hope and my prayer is that I hope that uh, I, I, along with the rest of our team, I hope we're able to lay before our church where I believe that we're heading um, in 2022 and as we get into this new year. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about uh, from the pulpit on Sunday mornings from the Word of God is going to be really encouraging. Um, and I think we should be excited as believers in Christ, knowing where our value truly lies and where our hope really comes from and, and how the church really is a, a beacon of hope and a beacon of the victory that we now have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But at the same time, uh, there's probably going to be a couple weeks in there where I think we're going to be really challenged. And we as a church, not the American Evangelical Church, but we here at Southside, 
um, are going to experience some challenging days. And so we're going to talk about that together over the next few weeks. But before we get into that, I do want to take a moment uh, to be in the Word of God um, to remind us really of who we are and what it is that we are called to do. Now, again, I don't know what your New Year's looks like. Um, our New Year's was uh, just, it was a lot of fun. It was interesting. Again, we did watch the ball drop. We, we shot fireworks uh, like uh, most everybody else, I believe. I'm thankful that I have a brother-in-law whose father runs a fireworks stand, so we had the cool stuff. Um, not just the sparklers and little things like that. Like we had, we had the things that just would shake the foundations of your home. It was really awesome. Um, but at the same time, terrifying to watch your 13 year old light those fireworks. Um, kind of scary at the same time, but we had a wonderful time together, a wonderful time uh, just being a family and enjoying kind of the traditional things that you do. But uh, one of the conversations that I found myself in, and I don't know if you're this way or not, but uh, I, we talked about, we started talking about New Year's resolutions, and I don't know how many people uh, do New Year's resolutions anymore. I like a meme I saw the other day on social media. Jose probably posted it, honestly, because uh, Jose is like the master of memes on social media. But anyway, it was, uh, it was basically talking about New Year's resolutions resolutions and how New Year's resolutions are basically just a to-do list for January, or at least for the first week of January. And I was like, you know, that's so true. Uh, but I don't know if anybody's into that, or maybe you're one of those folks who's into like a word for the year. Maybe that's kind of your thing. I kind of alluded to that in the announcements. But if that's you, uh, I, I want to talk to you for a little bit. And if that's not you, then I still want to talk to you as well, because here's the reality. Whether you do New Year's resolutions, or whether you have a word for the year, or, or whether you don't do any of those things, maybe, maybe you're a, a, a list person, and you have lists that you do, and they have a little box, and you kind of check off your list, and you know, maybe on your list, it's like, wake up and have breakfast. Okay, victory. Um, maybe you're one of those folks that you have to have assignments where maybe you put bullet points on a dry race board, whether it's in your home or on a chalkboard that's connected to your fridge or even in your in classroom if you're a teacher, um, whatever it may be. Or maybe you're a task person where somewhere, whether it's your calendar or in notes or whatever else on your phone, you keep a list of tasks or assignments that you know you need to complete. So whether you're in school or maybe in work or maybe at home, wherever these tasks, these assignments, wherever this work is, the reality is we all know, whether you keep a list or not, we all know that we have things that we ought to be doing. We know that we have things that really need to get done, that the reality is if they don't get done somewhere along the way, something's going to suffer, right? If the dishes don't get done, what happens? We don't have plates to eat off of. We're eating off paper towels like the good old days. If the laundry doesn't get done, guess what happens? You start wearing smelly clothes and you kind of become okay with it after a while. Or maybe you begin to suffer the consequences of it. I guess my question for us this morning is, how many of us really have to-do lists that we keep up with? Assignments, tasks, responsibilities that, that we know need to get done. How many of us keep these to-do lists on your phone? I'm going to go ahead and tell you on my phone, I actually keep a to-do list on the phone. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's not called Johnny's to-do list or to-do list or honey-do list or anything like that. I actually titled it something really uh, much simpler than that. It's just called Hey Johnny, okay? That's all, that's all it says. So if you look at my phone, you look at my notes, there's a note that says Hey Johnny, excuse me. Now, the reason why I call it that is because I really didn't like calling it a to-do list. And let me tell you why. Because anytime I see a to-do list, 
It looks like assignments that I have to complete and I have to complete immediately. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up calling this list, Hey Johnny, because here's the reality. Usually when I hear people say, Hey Johnny to me, it's normally followed not by a how are you or how are things going. It's probably like in your own life if somebody says to you, Hey, hey Jared or, or Hey Nathan or Hey Corey or Hey Forrest or, or whomever, you know, Hey, Hey Paul. Usually it's followed with something they either need to get done that they're hoping you can help them with or you're about to be asked to do something that you may or may not want to do, but either way, they know that you're willing to serve and you're willing to help. Now, again, this is me. I know this is odd. I'm not saying everybody has to create a to-do list this way, but I'm just telling you that's where you can find my to-do list, and I update this to-do list every day. Now, the point is this. Whether it's a New Year's resolution or whether it's the task that we keep in our heads or in our notebooks or on our phones, what we end up doing is we end up creating a list of things that we know that we need to accomplish for that day or even for that week or, dare I say, for that month. Some of us will set up these lists in our calendar and our calendars will serve as reminders. And then what we ultimately do is we like to check those things off or delete them from our to-do list. Why? Because as people, we are constantly looking for small victories in our life. In fact, I remember uh, one military person giving a speech about uh, the daily tasks that every person should do. And I remember seeing a video about it, but also remember hearing somebody talk about it in person as well. They said one of the first things that every person should do as a daily task in their life is to make your bed every morning. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of who does that. But this particular person was saying that you should do this every morning. Why? Because they said, if everything else in that day fails, if in everything you set out to accomplish that day fails and you take loss after loss after loss after loss, then ultimately at the end of the day, when you go back to your room to get back in your bed, you know you at least won something that day and you started your day with a victory because you simply made your bed. You see, when you think about our tasks and our responsibilities and and the victories that can come with accomplishing them, when it comes to the very word of God this morning, I hope that we see in our text this morning, we see Paul writing to the local church. And he's going to call the church to realize that as believers in Christ, as Christians, we have tasks, we have responsibilities. We have duties that we are now called to fulfill. And the beauty of it all is whether we fulfill them or not, praise God. If we don't, praise God because there is grace in Christ. But either way, as Christians, we have responsibilities. We have a calling that's been placed upon our life. And so as we read this morning in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul begins to list out to the church at Colossae the the responsibilities and the tasks that we have. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 12. Now once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the local church in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes... Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, or excuse me, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this time and we thank you for this morning. Father, we pray that by your grace that you would prepare our hearts for your truth this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us clarity of thought, clarity of mind, clarity of ears and eyes. As we study your word, Father, we seek your counsel. We seek wisdom that can only come from you. Father, we praise you for the opportunities that we've already had today to be able to worship you in song and to worship you through prayer and through the the reading of your word. And Father, we pray now that as we study your word together, Lord, we ask that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this time. And Father, as we look with hope and eager anticipation in what it is that you'll do through this next year, Father, I pray that we would see what it is that you have called us to do. And that in our actions and our words that you would be lifted up above all else. Again, Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for loving us and delighting in us. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now again, in Colossians, we have Paul speaking to the church at Colossae. Paul was clearly under house arrest in Rome at the time of this writing, and so he is now writing back to the church, writing back to the body of believers that he cared about, and he calls them to remain focused on our sovereign God and at the same time to to grow in their own righteousness and to grow in maturity. And so after calling the believers to toss aside or put to death their old earthly ways, he now turns his attention to what the believers are now obligated to do. So as we look at this text this morning, Paul's going to share with the church the obligations that they now have towards one another. Now again, do not mishear what Paul is saying this morning. Paul is not going to say to the church this morning, hey, in order to be a Christian, you have to do these things. No, it has already been established that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But yet now as a Christian, we're going to see that according to the very word, there are tasks that we now have. There are obligations and responsibilities that we now have towards one another as one family of God. So this morning we're going to look at what Paul will call the tasks of a Christian. Our first task we see in verses 12 through 14. We see as Christians, we are to be bound together in love. Notice that Paul opens in verse 12 by saying, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
Now, I just want to pause right here for a moment because do we see and understand what it is that Paul is now saying to the local church? You see, because of Jesus Christ, we now have new identities in the Lord that we now need to put on. We have been given a new self by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. But notice this from Paul. Notice he calls the church chosen. He calls them holy. He calls them beloved. You see, here in Paul's words, we see that this is a guarantee of our relationship with God. You see, the source of our joy comes from the fact that we have been set apart by God. It comes from the fact that we are now loved by God, our God who saw us in the midst of our mess, and still it was God who chose us. In fact, if you look over at the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Again, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says these words. He says, even as he, the he being God, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul again writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this, and I am sure of this. Meaning Paul was 100% confident of what it was that he was about to say. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, Christian this morning, are you hearing these words today? I mean, stop and just reflect upon what we have just read Jesus didn't just look at you and Jesus didn't just look at me and, and then all of a sudden just say, sure. I mean, I, I, I guess if that's all we got to work with, I'll, I'll take it. Okay, I don't know if you've been to the Lego store. We weren't the fancy box in the front that costs $800. No, we were the back wall of all the random pieces. Jesus didn't go to the random wall and just was like, I mean, okay. He didn't go to the, the random wall, the mess that is our life, and, and look at us and look at God and go all of a sudden, God, you know what sounds really good right now? Flood this thing one more time. Let's just hit the reset button. Notice Jesus never says that about us. He never says about us, man, if this is all I have to work with, then okay, I guess I'll make this work. I mean, it's a fixer-upper, but we'll make it work. No, notice what Jesus does. You see, by God's sovereign grace, he looked at us and said, mine. You are mine. I choose you. I will set you apart. And by my blood, you will be made holy. I choose you over the world. I choose you before the world. And I will work in you until the day I return or until the day you are called home. As Christians this morning, do we hear the hope and the joy and the love that is found in knowing that Jesus Christ chose us.
God himself chose us. Just think about that for a moment. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what it is that you're going through already. I don't know where you're coming from. I know many of us have shared several stories together. Some have been good and celebratory. Some have been of hurt and heartache. I don't know where you are. But man, I know this. If you're in this room today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you need to know today you belong to Christ. And you don't just belong to him, but know this. God chose you. I mean, what do we have to offer him? You see, for us this morning, no matter the moment, no matter where we are, God chose us for him. God chose us for this particular moment. Now, coming back to our text here in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to find and see that everything we now see next is rooted really in verse 14, which says this, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what Paul's doing here is he's now telling the church, and he's now telling us that, that Christian love is ultimately what binds everything together that we read about in verses 12 and 13. You see, without true Christian love being the foundation, then none of the things that we read about in verse 12 and 13 will exist in the life of the believer. You see, without love, none of these other virtues can be accomplished the way God intended them to be. So what I want us to do is is really look briefly at verses 12 and 13 and what these particular words mean for us. Now again, please note here, okay, we could spend a lot of time just on these two verses. So this is by no means meant to be an exhaustive sermon on what those words literally mean, but rather this is to be a, a snapshot of what it is that we are called to do based on the task of being bound together in love. Notice Paul begins with the phrase, compassionate hearts. You see, to have a compassionate heart means that we are to to have a caring relationship with those who are around us who are hurting, with those who are around us who are broken. It's like Martin Luther says about this particular passage. He says, may our mind and heart constantly and relentlessly pour out works of compassion so earnestly that we do not even see or realize that we are being compassionate or doing good. In other words, Martin Luther tells us that we are called to be so focused on compassion that it's almost second nature for us. We can't even tell that we're being compassionate. We can't even tell that we are constantly pouring our hearts out because it's just natural for us to do this. You see, Paul in this phrase, coming back to Texas, telling us that, man, we are not, as Christians, we are not to be a people who are looking for fights. We are not to be a people who are looking to be divisive. Rather, we need to be a people who look at one another with compassion, realizing that we are called to help those who are hurting. Next, we see words like kindness and humility. In those words, we realize that as believers, we need to have a readiness to do good. We need to have a a readiness to not only do good, but to serve one another in the same way that Jesus Christ himself served us. You see, it was in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, where we read the words, for even the Son of Man came not to 
be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you see, when it comes to being bound in love, as believers in Christ, man, we shouldn't have to be convinced to serve. When it comes to being bound together in love, when all of a sudden people say, hey, we need help, hey, we need service here, we shouldn't be the type of people who all of a sudden ask, well, man, what's in it for me? Rather, as Christians, we should offer our yes and seek to serve where there is need. You see, as Christians who, again, are bound together in love, who are living in kindness, living in humility, there's a, there's a call to die to self here. There's a call to, to willingly sacrifice and to realize that we serve and we sacrifice all for the glory of God. Now, let me unpack what I mean about this service and sacrifice because when you start using words like that, man, you could go a hundred different directions at this point. But for, but for our purposes this morning, I want us to focus specifically on the local church. You see, I don't know if you realize this or not, but churches aren't built overnight. Churches are built on the sacrifices of the people. Churches are are built when people sacrifice themselves, when they sacrifice their time, and they willingly set aside their own personal interests to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Churches are built when when people lay aside their own pride and their own own self-preservation to see other believers encouraged in their faith in Christ and then to ultimately see them become active participants in and through the local church. So we have to ask the question this morning, man, do we see that we are called to serve God through the local church? Do we see that we are called to serve God one another as a faith family through the local church. Next, we see words like meekness and patience here in Colossians chapter 3. These words mean gentleness and a willingness to really play the long game. Now, too many Christians really no longer understand what it means to play the long game anymore. You see, we now live in a day and time where too many people are seeking immediate gratification. They're seeking immediate satisfaction. And so all of a sudden they start asking the question, well, what's in it for me? And they fail to realize that what we do as believers in Christ, in faith, this is not a sprint. But rather this is a marathon. And so as believers in Christ, we have to be willing to put in the work. We have to be willing to put in the training. Okay, if if anybody has ever told you that all of a sudden your life's problems would be solved as soon as you came to faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you today you were told wrong. Things all of a sudden aren't going to get easier. You're not going to be happier. You're not all of a sudden going to come to the altar and pray in faith and walk out of here and your wallet is filled with a million dollars. Which, by the way, if that happens, let me encourage you, we have multiple ways to give to our offering. It's not going to happen, but I'm just saying. You see, we have to realize that this is a marathon. And what we're doing here on earth is training for what's to come in eternity. 
We need to realize as Christians today that we are in this together and we are in this for the long haul. You see, this is why many people have asked, hey, why have we changed the way we do membership at at our church? Well, this is why we've tightened up the process. Because, man, we want to know that when people come to join with our faith family, we want to know that they're committed to our church. At the same time, we want them to know that we are going to be committed to them as well. And so as members of Southside, are we committed to what is happening right here and right now in our church? Because you see, here's the reality. Right now in our church, we need people who are committed to sharing the gospel. Right now in our church, we need people who are committed to talking about what the Lord is doing in and through the life of Southside. Right now in our church, we need people who are committed to be active in attendance. And when they look around the room and see that people are missing, they love them enough to call them and ask, Hey, where are you? Your family misses you. We need people who are actively committed to prayer, actively committed to to giving, to serving our children, to welcoming our people when they come through the foyer. If you didn't notice this morning, we had a little coffee snafu, and that's because our our person who normally does coffee, Miss Carol, she is out, she is sick. Her family's battling COVID right now. Right now, they're all doing well. But here's the reality. She's the only one who does it. Who's stepping up to help her with with the simple assignment of just making coffee? It's not hard. Some may ask, well, what's the biblical value of making coffee? Okay, we're not going to get into that doctrine today. However, I will say this. There's something beautiful about the fellowship that takes place in this building at 930 in the morning. If you don't know what that's about, you should come try it. We need people who are committed to serving our children. We've been making the same announcement for four weeks now about needing another person to come and faithfully serve our kids. Man, they, our children are the future of our church. And as adults, as mature believers in Jesus Christ, when we hear that there's a need with our children, when we hear there's a need amongst our teenagers, then we need to be able to offer our yes and step up and say, yes, I am willing to shepherd, I am willing to care, I am willing to support and encourage in any way that I can. We need people who are also willing to serve on our committees. Now this would be the point I would normally duck under the pulpit waiting on somebody to throw something at me. Because too many people in the church think committees are mundane. Can I just tell you something? Corey Dunbar and our Constitution and Bylaws Committee, they have been phenomenal. Okay? And Corey doesn't know I'm going to say this about him, but the the, the Constitution and Bylaws Committee were phenomenal. I, I just want to tell you something. We went from a church that had 27 committees and whittled that bad boy down to five. Okay? Why? It's not because we deemed all of a sudden all the other committees unnecessary, but what we quickly realized were some of the committees were a bit redundant. And some of the roles and responsibilities of some committees could be rolled into others. So there's, there's really uh, the five committees in our church right now. And here's the reality. We need people to serve on our committees. Again, you may think that's mundane. You may argue, well, where is that in the Bible? 
I can make that argument. It's called accountability. It's called the church members, faithful members serving, stewarding the resources that God has given to our church to faithfully administer and share and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate mission of every one of our committees. And so we need people to serve. I'm looking at Rick. We need people to serve on our personnel committee. We need people, I'm looking at Paul. We need people to serve on our finance committee right now. I'd I'd pick on Mary Ellen, but she's not in here. She's over serving next door. We need people to faithfully serve on our grounds committee. Why? Because as Christians, we are called to be bound together in love. And one of the ways we do that is through faithful service to the local church. So I'm going to ask the question, man, who's, who's willing to join us? Who's willing to join us for the long game of seeing our church be discipled? Who's willing to join us for the long game of of stewarding the precious resources that God has given to our church? Who's willing to join us in the long game to see our church continue to be faithful and fruitful in the place that we have been called to share the gospel? Amen, Jane. Thank you for that support. Moving on in our text in Colossians chapter 3, it says this, if one of us has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You see, as Christians, Paul tells us that we are the standard bearers when it comes to forgiveness. As Christians, we are not called to hold a grudge. As Christians, we are not called to be divisive, but rather we are called to forgive and therefore ask forgiveness when we have sinned against one another. Why? Because here's the reality. As a part of the family of God, we are not always going to get it right. But it does mean that when we're wrong, we're willing to seek forgiveness. Man, I want to tell you, I think this is one of the biggest struggles we have as a church. And we have this struggle because we've allowed culture to dictate to us this struggle. You see, here's what we do as a society today. Tell me if this sounds familiar. When we are wrong as a society, we want to blame everyone else. When we are wrong, we don't want to admit that we were wrong. It was the other person's fault. I think Paul would say to us this morning as we read Colossians chapter 3, man, as Christians, we need to take a step back and own where it is that we're wrong. And if, you're, and if you're in the room or you're a part of those conversations and you are a like-minded Christian, then when someone admits to you that they're wrong, man, we should be willing to forgive and seek restoration in that relationship. You see, this is what it looks like to be bound together in love. We see that as Christians, we are called to care for one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, and then to ultimately move forward as one family. So I have to ask this morning, are we willing to be bound together in love. It won't always be easy, but it does mean that we need to make it work. Secondly, we see that our next task is this in verse 15. We are to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Now again, if you're reading verse 15, I literally took that right from the text. Nothing fancy, nothing flashy, okay? 
I didn't get cute and creative there. Notice verse 15, it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. See what I did there? You see, when speaking of peace, Paul is now talking about both the peace that transcends all understanding that we now have in Christ, but also because of our relationship with Christ, Paul now calls us to a peace that should exist between believers. You see, for us this morning, if God is the author and giver of peace, which he is, then as his chosen ones, which we are, we are now tasked to live in peace with one another. Notice Paul continues in the text and he says, to which indeed you were called in one body. Again, I want to remind you that as a church, we are a part of one family. We are a part of the one body. We ought to to be at peace with one another. So as Christians, it really should be unnatural for members of the same body to quarrel with one another. Let me unpack what I mean by that. Too often I hear people talking about how they love the church. But then here's what happens. When all of a sudden things get hard, they abandon the church. You see, we find it too easy to be in conflict with one another. And Paul tells us that it should be easier for the Christian to be at peace with one another than it is to be in conflict with one another. In fact, Christ calls us to care for one another and that the fighting should not be natural for the church. And so as a church, man, we got to stop letting trivial matters divide us. Coming back to the text in Colossians chapter 3, Paul then says, and be thankful. Now notice what Paul calls the believer to here. He calls the believer to the task of gratitude. You see, in order to be able to, in order for there to be peace, we need to be grateful and thankful when others come along who seek to help us or even seek to serve us, even when we think we don't want it or we don't need it. You see, too oftentimes as Christians, we, we rob people of the fundamental blessing of being able to serve us. I remember this all too well when I was a church planner in Atlanta. We were prayer walking around one of my favorite parks. It was a park that was roughly 2.4 miles around. Um, so for people who wanted to get a good workout in, it was good. Lots of hills, uh, lots of fun, wear comfortable shoes. That's what I always told people. But there was one point at the very end of the prayer walk where we hit my favorite spot in the park. And the reason why it was my favorite is because it was the highest point in the park. And literally the trees opened and it cleared and you could see the city skyline. It was just incredible. It was one of my favorite places to go, to pray, to read, to take groups and to read. And I still remember it to, to this day. And I remember being with one specific group and the craziest thing happened when we got to that point. I told the folks that we were going to pray over the city. All we, we didn't pray for anything fancy. We just prayed for the gospel of Jesus Christ to impact the city of Atlanta. That's all we prayed for. Super simple, no flashy words, nothing incredible happening. And I said, oh, and I told the people, I said, let's gather to pray. And then the craziest thing happened. A group of 10 people got around me and the other church planners that were with us, and they literally just raised our arms for us to the sky. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I had no idea what was going on in that moment. It freaked me out. I've never had a conversation with anybody. I've never had a prayer time with anyone where I said, let's pray. And then all of a sudden they come over and they take your hand and they lift it for you. Like I've never experienced that before. And so I asked the pastors that were with us, I said, hey man, talk to me about this. What is this all about? And they reminded us of the story of Moses that we see with Joshua when they were in battle and it was his arms that had to be raised. And they said this, they said, sometimes even the servants need to have their arms raised because they too need help from the rest of the body. 
How about that for some truth this morning? You see, as Christians today, we need to be willing to hold one another up. And yet at the same time, as Christians, we need to allow others to hold us up. So again, I want to say to you, don't rob people of the blessing of serving you when you need help. You don't have to go this road alone. You see, Paul teaches us here, man, in order to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, we have to be thankful for help. We have to have a heart of gratitude. We have to realize that we are part of one body, and as one body, we must seek to live at peace with all those who are a part of the family of God. And so we are now called to set the example for the watching world. This now leads to the third task that Paul gives us. Paul says in verse 16 that as Christians, we ought to dwell richly in the word. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you read verse 16, really this text almost preaches itself. So I really don't have much to add to it. But let's just walk through it quickly, okay? Notice the text says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, notice I didn't change too much about that point. Here Paul teaches that the whole of Scripture should be studied. It's the whole of Scripture that should be daily and carefully read. It's the whole of Scripture that should be frequently meditated upon. You see, for us as Christians, we need to realize that it's the Word of God that ultimately makes us wise. It's the Word of God that helps us grow in righteousness. So when it comes to the reading of the Word of God, it shouldn't be simply read in public at a worship gathering, but rather the Word itself should be something that we study on our own in our private times. But notice the text says this phrase, It says to let the word of Christ, and I would underline this, dwell in you richly. Literally, what Paul is saying to us is that the word of God should be fixed within us. The word of God should abide in us. The word of God should take up residence within us and should be there abundantly. In other words, as Christians today, man, we need to have a strong knowledge of the Word of God. We should have a stronger knowledge of the Word of God and not simply what scholars have have said to us about the Word of God, but what is actually in the Word of God. Now let me unpack what I mean here. You see, as Christians today, we should have a, a knowledge of the gospel and not simply a testimony. As Christians, we should have a a familiarity with the Word of God and not have more quotes from our favorite scholars. As Christians, we should have an affectionate respect for the Word, meaning that the pages of this book are dirty and creased because of the amount of time that we spend in it as opposed to the dust that settles on the outside cover because we never open it. You see, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I believe this is why it is so easy for people to turn away from the church. This is why I think it's so easy for people to to turn away from God because they don't know the word of God. The word does not dwell within them richly. This past week, I had an opportunity to do a lot of reading because there wasn't a lot going on in the house. It It was really kind of nice, kind of fun. 
And being a, the nerd I am, I like to read a lot of research stuff, particularly when it comes to statistics, like statistics and things like that. And yes, for those of you who wondered, I did all my football statistics. I knew exactly what my team was getting into this weekend. But on top of that, I actually read some things that were beneficial and fruitful. I came across a study that said before COVID, 40% of evangelicals in the United States attended church. Now, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cautiously say in the post-COVID world, I'm saying that because we're now at Omicron. We're running out of the Greek alphabet. It has to end at some point. Okay? We're at Omicron. There's only so many left. All right? They don't want to touch Hebrew. They're not ready for that. All right? Anyway, in a post-COVID world in the United States, when it comes to evangelicals attending church, that number is now less than 20%. Less than 20%. Why? Why? The study didn't give the answer to that question. I'll give it to you. The answer is because we don't know the Word of God. The answer is because we're not abiding in the Word of God. What many evangelicals have done is they've chosen to, to read and study and respect the world. And they have failed to read and study and respect the word. Notice the text then calls us here in Colossians chapter 3 to teach, admonish, and sing the word with thankfulness. Notice that all of us are called to teach in some form or fashion. So whether it's teaching to yourself, whether it's teaching in your home through your family devotionals, or whether you're called to teach in the church, one way or another, you are called to teach the word of God. Notice it also says that you're called to admonish according to the word of God, or better yet, to warn or reprimand when people are out of step with the word of God. Notice what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, look, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how long we've known them or what, their, or what their reputation is. If people are in sin and they are living outside the word of God, then let's call them back according to the word of God. But Paul's not done there. He says that we are to sing the word. Man, this is, this is kind of a sensitive subject and I recognize that. But I want you to notice what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this morning as a church, what we sing needs to be sifted according to the word of God. So whether it's a hymn, whether it's a psalm, whether it's a spiritual song, whether in praise or whether in reflection, we are called to sing the word of God. Why? So that we can know the word of God better. There's something powerful about music. And so we should be a people who sing the word. I've heard many say, hey man, we just don't like the songs that we're singing. Okay. I want to remind you that we are again one. I want to remind you that we are called to be bound together in love and we are called to live at peace with one another. And so I would ask you this question. Was what we sang true, good, and right, and beautiful according to the word of God? If so, then praise God, for it is God who is being glorified and not man. And praise God because we are now singing the word of God. Why else do we exist as a church? Some would ask at this point, well, why does it matter what we sing? Yeah, okay, I hear you. 
do me a favor. Name for me the books of the Bible. Start with Genesis, please. How many of you right now in your heads are going, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, too? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you started singing? And yes, I do the head bob when I sing the song, if you notice. I do the have to. Y'all know. You know the song. How many of you were singing that in your head? Why? Because here's the truth. There is power in song. And so as a church, man, we should desire for the songs that we sing to be from the word of God. We should desire to sing songs from the word of God with the intent of glorifying God alone. It's not about any other person on this stage. It's about the worship of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus Christ. And that is why we worship. You see, for Paul, the goal of singing was both for spiritual profit, but also for edification of the believer, but ultimately for God alone to be glorified. So, man, i got to ask this question. Do we dwell in the word? Do we, do we know what our Bible even looks like? Do we know what the, what the Bible says? I mean, it's, it's January 2nd. If you've never, if you've never spent an, a, a, an extensive amount of time in the Word, then can I encourage you? Man, you can Google. There's a lot of great year-long Bible readings that you can do. I can recommend several of you right after church if you'd like. But man, immerse yourself in the Word. Better yet, what about your song? Are you singing the Word? And is it glorifying God when you sing? Next, we get to verse 17, and Paul gives us our final task. He says, do everything in the name of the Lord. Notice Paul closes by giving us one last task that ultimately points us all back to God. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice Paul calls the church, whether you're preaching the word, hearing the word, whether you're singing or whether you're in conversation, whether in the church or whether you're out in the world, do all in the name of the Lord. Notice here that we have the task of realizing that all we say and all that we do, we should do with the glory of God in mind. All that we say and all that we do are, are opportunities to, to lead people to faith in Christ. They're opportunities to edify and encourage and admonish according to the word. When it comes to our gathered times as a church, man, we should see these times as a, as a blessing because we get to praise God with other like-minded believers. When we go to school or, or when we go to work, we should see that as a moment to be able to make the most of the name of Jesus Christ, which is what Paul's going to talk about later in Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4. You see, God has given us the opportunity and the blessing to make much of his name daily. You see, all that we say, all that we do, all that we have should be done solely in view of his glory and his honor. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about the opportunity that we now have. We were found dead in our sin, wretched sinners in need of a Savior. And by the grace of God, we have been saved through Christ. And now, as his chosen ones, we have the blessing to serve God with and through 
the rest of our lives. Notice the text, Paul comes back and says, and giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul here closes by reminding the church that it is just and right that we realize where all mercies come from. It is just and right to remember where all grace and all hope comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have what we have. We do what we do. We gather where we gather because of the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God. Man, do we realize this morning that we are living in the grace of God? Do we realize this morning, have we, have we thanked God this morning for the fact that we live in his mercy? My hope for us today is as believers in Christ, this would, this would bring us hope that this would bring us joy. You see, Paul had a powerful reminder for the church. Paul wanted the church to know our sovereign God. He wanted them to know that the old was gone, and now as a new creation, we have been given tasks. We have been given responsibilities by God. The church had been called to be bound together in love. They had been called to to let peace rule and to dwell within the word and to do all things in the name of the Lord. Why? Because God is the one who deserves all glory. For it is God who has called us his chosen ones. And it is God who has called us together now. Man, this is just the first Sunday of a new year. I don't know what the rest of this year holds, but I know the one who holds it. And so my hope is that we would seek to make much of him, realizing that as long as we have breath, we have an opportunity. The war has been won. Victory is in Christ. And we have been called and saved by him. Now as one body, Let us now live out the tasks of a Christian as we seek to glorify him as one family. Man, let's pray together.